Welcome to the Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, where every death had a life and every life had a story. My name is Jenny Johnson. Hello, and I'm Diane Hartshorn. Diane, how do you and your husband celebrate Valentine's Day? Or do you celebrate Valentine's Day? Yeah, we do celebrate. Um, we used to like try to go out. We never went out on Valentine's Day because it's just too insane. So we would either go like the weekend before or after. But I think this year we're just going to maybe cook something nice for dinner at home and enjoy just a very quiet evening at home. I love it. Yeah, Dave and I don't do a whole lot. It's not been one of our big holidays. It's not one of my favorite holidays as far as like celebrating and being romantic and stuff. I My big thing for him, I'm always like, don't forget our anniversary. Make that romantic and the rest of it is fine. So that's what we do. We had a a December 1st wedding, which was a date he could remember. So Mm -hmm. it seems to have worked out. You know, we've been married 20-ish years. So, you know, I'll take it. It's fine. (laughs) Nothing must be going right. Exactly. Um, But in honor of the upcoming holiday, which will be in a few days um, when this airs, we are going to share two love stories with you today. Love stories that involve star-crossed lovers and the cemeteries where they are buried. We are very grateful to Deborah Contessa Hargreaves and Jennifer Aaron for allowing us to use their writings and share them with you today. The first cemetery we are going to visit today is Layton Cemetery, which is located on the seaside town of Blackpool within the county of Lancashire, a holiday destination situated on the northwest coast of England. Opened in 1873, when the council decided its parish churchyard was replete with burying, this sprawling Victorian necropolis contains many notable graves. If you walk through the original Peeling Cemetery gates and head towards the now derelict Church of England Chapel, you may catch a glimpse of a modest stone, weathered, crumbling, and unassuming, yet adorned with the imagery of a strong Christian faith. Although obscured by a towering monolith celebrating the life of a local brewer, it's worth risking a twisted ankle on the soft ground and paying a visit to the final resting place of Edward Rifle Mann. During the summer season of 1886, Edward Rifle Mann, a 26-year-old German national, was employed on Blackpool Seafront by the Wollstenholme Bathing Van Company. Very much enjoying the summer sunshine, sea air, and bathing bells, he was happy in his work. Being young and strong, he coped admirably with the physical labor and the long hours. He worked voraciously saving every penny he earned for his up-and-coming wedding to his beloved fiance Helen. Now, bathing machines, or vans, were a necessary component of English beach etiquette during the 19th century. Typically, a canvas windowless box stretched over a wooden frame with a door at each end, which was raised off the floor by its wheels. Entry was made via a stepladder before being pulled out to sea. The machines protected the modesty of bathers, allowing them the privacy to change into swimwear away from prying eyes. Towards the end of the afternoon on the 1st of August, Edward and his boss Samuel Wollstenholm and Samuel's brother John were preparing to pack up for the day when Edward was approached by two young gents eager to hire a van and enjoy a quick dip in the briny water. But the tide appeared on the turn. The weather seemed to be becoming inclement, so conditions were not ideal. The gentleman, though, could not be discouraged. Against his better judgment, Edward reluctantly agreed, dragging men and machine out to the water's edge. 
After a short while spent standing on the beach, he noticed the swimmers in some difficulty quite a distance from the shore. With no thought for his own safety, Edward swiftly dove into the unforgiving waves in an attempt to rescue the pair. Bravely battling against the current, he managed to reach one of the friends and drag him to the safety of the sand. He then valiantly headed back out into the whitecaps, but the sea was relentless and the second man was swallowed by the undercurrent. Tragically, Edward lost his own life performing this courageous recovery, for he too was drowned. With just two weeks until they were to wed, poor Helen was left bereft, her dreams shattered, and her heart broken. Edward's memorial stone in Leighton Cemetery was paid for by the local townspeople. As news of the bravery has spread, a collection was generously donated to, in testament to the heroic young man. It is one of the very few English graves that relate the full story of how someone died. Two months after Edward's sad demise, a baby son was born into the Wollstenholme family. He was named Edward Mann Wollstenholme in Edward's honor. Helen went on to marry John Wollstenholme, who you may remember was not only Edward's colleague, but also his boss's brother. But her first love was never far from her thoughts. In fact, she continued to carry a torch for him throughout the rest of her life. Upon her death in 1903, her selfless husband arranged for her to be buried alongside her one true love. So although parted in life, Edward and Helen are forever reunited in death. They now eternally rest together. Thank you again to Deborah Contessa Hargreaves for putting this story together for us. Deborah is a volunteer cemetery guide at Leighton Cemetery a blogger, and a citizen historian who was kind enough to reach out to us when she saw our call for a love story connected to a cemetery outside of the U.S. Yes, thank you, Deborah. That It's such a beautiful story, so I'm so glad you shared it with us and that we get to share it with all our listeners now. We are stateside for our second cemetery and love story. Our next stop is Oakwood Cemetery in Raleigh, North Carolina. Before we plunge into the story written by Jennifer Aaron of deadbell.com, we'll take a quick tour of the cemetery. According to historicoakwoodcemetery.org, Oakwood Cemetery is a cemetery full of life. 150 years ago, the citizens of Raleigh envisioned this property in the suburbs of downtown as Oakwood Cemetery, a place where people could find comfort among their loved ones. Historic Oakwood Cemetery is a private, nonprofit, independent cemetery and remains open to all without reference, remains open to all without preference or discrimination relating to race, religion, or national origin. The Friends of Oakwood Cemetery and the newly formed Oakwood Cemetery Foundation are dedicated to promoting and preserving Oakwood Cemetery's natural beauty and history. The cemetery is free to visit, and your financial contributions to the foundation help preserve monuments and grounds and educate our community about the history of its people. The grounds are an impressive sculpture garden of exceptional artistic interest. The excellence and diversity of the carvings, statues, base relief works, and other decorations on the many memorials and monuments are preserved with care and each stone tells a story about an era or person. Their 72 acres are beautifully landscaped and filled with a wide variety of oaks, cedars, maples, azaleas, dogwoods, hollies, 
and other attractive shrubs and flowers. I bet it is absolutely beautiful. The pictures I saw online made me just want to go right out to North Carolina and take a tour. It has that very Southern charm and, you know, it's gorgeous. Yes. On a hot and humid Saturday in 2013, Jennifer Aaron was visiting Oakwood Cemetery when she spotted a monument down the hill from where she was taking pictures that looked different from all the others. The base was bricked with what looked like a replica of a building on top. So she drove over to check it out. She's very glad that she did and decided to investigate further because not only is this marker incredibly detailed, it comes with a stirring and tragic story of racism, a woman's life cut short, and the downfall of a promising architect's career, family, and sanity, which ended in suicide. Just as a disclaimer, we will be using the term mixed blood in the story. This is a term that is being used in its historical context, and we mean absolutely no disrespect. We realize it's not a term used any longer, but if we don't use it in its historical context, the tragedy of the story is not as powerful if we don't use the correct terms. The marker belongs to Rachel Unaka Blythe Bear, who was born in October 1870 to a prominent Cherokee tribe family in Swain County, North Carolina. Her grandfather, Jacob Blythe, was referred to in one newspaper clipping as a leading Cherokee, but there was no mention of her parents. Some of the information suggested that Rachel was sent to an orphanage to be educated, but because she was later said to be a wealthy orphan, it's possible that something tragic happened to her parents, resulting in the placement. Another possible scenario is that Rachel's father was a Caucasian and her mother a Cherokee, And because at the time interracial marriages were forbidden, she was orphaned in that manner. This is based on information from the Find a Grave Memorial that Rachel was regarded by the community as having mixed blood. As a young adult, Rachel studied stenography at the Baptist Institute and worked at Raleigh's post office as a stamp clerk. She would later meet Adolphus Gustavus Bear, who is buried at her side. Adolphus was born in 1858 in Martinsburg, West Virginia, to German-born parents, Frederick and Sophia Baer. Adolphus was educated at Bethany College in West Virginia and then went to Pennsylvania, where he attended Iron City Business College and the Philadelphia Academy of Fine Arts. Some sources indicate he also studied painting in Cincinnati. In 1881, Adolphus was hired as a draftsman for architect Samuel Sloan, and in that capacity, he traveled to North Carolina to assist with some of Sloan's projects in the South. After Sloan's death in 1884, Bear continued to work on various North Carolina projects, such as Raleigh's Executive Mansion, Chapel Hill's Memorial Hall, and Morganton's Western North Carolina Hospital for the Insane. Bear left North Carolina in 1887, but returned in 1891 to work on other architectural endeavors, incorporating the Queen Anne style into his designs. Adolphus and Rachel were boarders at the same house, which is where they met and fell in love. They had a secret ceremony in 1894, but wanted to make their nuptials official after Rachel became pregnant. Because marriages between Native Americans and people of other races were illegal in North Carolina, The couple went to Washington for their second wedding in June of 1895, under the assumption that the marriage would still be valid in North Carolina. That validity would be debated, 
but regardless of legality, the couple would never be fully accepted with open arms into the community. In October 1895, the couple's first child, Owina, was born. Despite the possible isolation and discrimination that the Bears faced, they remained in North Carolina, where Adolphus's career flourished. That changed on May 2, 1896, when he and contractor Charles Norton were in a carriage hit by a train at a crossing in Durham. Adolphus's brain injuries would leave lasting physical and mental issues, including dizzy spells, delusions, and melancholy. He was hospitalized at Raleigh's North Carolina Hospital for the Insane at least once. After his institutionalization, he suffered from the same complications, but attempted to work even though he had great trouble concentrating on projects. A letter written to his sister revealed that his reputation as an architect had been marred by the accident's effect, and he even questions his own capabilities despite his local reputation. A lawsuit against the railroad was filed, but the process was slow, and it didn't seem like the Bears would receive any compensation. The couple's second child, Fred Blythe Bear, was born on December 27, 1896. Rachel had been ill throughout the fall and winter and died within two weeks of Fred's birth on January 9, 1897. Unable to care for the children, Aldolphus sent the children to live with relatives. Fred went to Kuala Boundary, where he was adopted by Rachel's brother James and his wife Josephine. Owena ended up in Ohio with Aldolphus's family. In the months following Rachel's death, Adolphus worked feverishly on several projects, one of them being Rachel's stunning monument. He had received a small settlement from the railroad by this time, which he used to fund the grave marker. The Grecian-styled building atop the brick column is based on the Temple of Diana and was intended to showcase Rachel's virtues. The front bears a porcelain plate with an image of Rachel on her wedding day above a small plaque that reads, in thy dark eyes splendor, where the warm light loves to dwell, reary looks yet tender, speak their last farewell. After Rachel's marker was complete, Adolphus must have felt like his life's work was also complete. His last days were spent alone in his room, reading and writing. On May 11, 1898, he committed suicide with one bullet to the head. When his body was found, the gun was said to be in his right hand, and his left hand clutched a photograph of Rachel. In a suicide note, Adolphus wrote, I wish to say that if I, by violence to myself, should die, I wish to be buried by the side of my wife in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I have so long sojourned and among the Southern people I have liked so well. Adolphus was interred beside Rachel in a grave that remained unmarked until 1986, when the Triangle Native American Society erected a headstone for him. On the front of Adolphus's marker, you can see that some of the inscription is from his suicide letter. The words, I wish to say that if I, by violence to myself should die, were omitted. Jennifer found a 1917 yearbook photo from Ohio State University where we can see Owena around age 22 when she was the president of the Philomathian Literary Society. Both Owena and Fred, despite their rocky start they had in life, survived into their 70s and had families of their own. 
Fred died in 1971 in North Carolina and Awina in Ohio in 1974. Unfortunately, it seems as though many of the buildings designed by Bear have been raised over time, even though some still stand today. That's such a sweet story, a bittersweet story. It is. So sad. You obviously, Adolphus was very much in love with Rachel. So thank you to at not lost gone before on Instagram for suggesting this story and many, many thanks to Jennifer Aaron for allowing us to share her blog post nearly word for word. It was she who did all the research for this story and you can find it and many other intriguing cemetery stories on her website, deadbell.com. You can find the link in today's show notes. And before we close out today, we thought we would share a little poetry with you that seemed fitting for today's episode. This poem is called Elegy to the Memory of an Unfortunate Lady by Alexander Pope and can be found in the Graveyard School and Anthology. What beckoning ghost along the moonlight shade invites my steps and points to yonder glade? Tis she, but why that bleeding bosom gourd? Why dimly gleams the visionary sword? Oh, ever beauteous, ever friendly, tell, is it? in heaven a crime to love too well, to bear too tender or to firm a heart, to act a lover's or a Roman's part. Is there no bright reversion in the sky for those who greatly think or bravely die? Why bade ye else, ye powers, her soul aspire above the vulgar fight of low desire? Ambition first sprung from your blessed abodes, the glorious fault of angels and of gods, thence to their images and earth it flows, and in the breasts of kings and heroes glows. Most souls, tis true, but peep out once an age, dull, sullen prisoners in the body's cage, dim lights of life that burn a length of years, useless, unseen as lamps and sepulchres. Like eastern kings, a lazy state they keep, and close confined to their own palace, sleep. From these, perhaps, ere nature bade her die, Fate snatched her early to the pitying sky, as into air the pure spirits flow, and separate from the kindred dregs below. So flew the soul to its congenial place, nor left one virtue to redeem her race. But thou, false guardian of a charge too good, thou mean deserter of thy brother's blood, see on these ruby lips the trembling breath, these cheeks now fading at the blast of death. Cold is that breath which warmed the world before, and those love-darting eyes must roll no more. Thus, if eternal justice rules the ball, thus shall your wives and thus your children fall. On all the line in a sudden vengeance wails, and frequent hearses shall besiege your gates. There passengers shall stand and pointing say, while the long funerals blacken all the way. Lo, these were they whose souls the fury stilled, and cursed with hearts unknowing how to yield. Thus unlamented passed the proud away, the gaze of fools and pageant of a day. So perish all whose breast ne'er learn to glow for others' good, or melt at others' woe. What can atone, or ever injured shade, thy fate unpitied, and thy rights unpaid? No friend's complaint, no kind or domestic tear. Please thy pale ghost, or grace that mournful beer. By foreign hands, thy dying eyes were closed. By foreign hands, thy decent limbs composed. By foreign hands, thy humble grave adorned. 
by strangers honored and by strangers mourned. What though no friends in sable weeds appear, grieve for an hour, perhaps, then mourn for a year. And bear about the mockery of woe to midnight dances and the public show. What though no weeping loves thy ashes grace, nor polished marble emulate thy face. What though no sacred earth allow thee room, nor hallowed dirge be muttered over thy tomb, yet shall thy grave with rising flowers be dressed. And the green turf lie lightly on thy breast. There shall the morn her earliest tears bestow. There the first roses of the year shall blow, while angels with their silver rings or shade the ground now sacred by thy relics made. So peaceful rest without a stone, a name, what once had beauty, titles, wealth, and fame, how loved, how honored once avails thee not, to whom related or by whom begot, a heap of dust alone remains of thee, tis all thou art and all the proud shall be. Poets themselves must fall like those they sung, deaf the praised ear and mute the tuneful tongue. Even he whose soul now melts in mournful lays shall shortly want the generous tear he pays. Then from his closing eyes thy form shall part, and the last pang shall tear thee from his heart. Life's idle business at one gasp you're, the muse forgot, and thou beloved no more. We thank you once again for joining us, and we hope you have a lovely and far less tragic Valentine's Day than the lovers in the stories we shared with you today. Please visit our website, theordinaryextraordinarycemetery.com, to find all the links for today's episode in the show notes. We would also love it if you would share this episode with just one friend or family member who might enjoy learning more about cemeteries and their stories. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or on our website and tell us how we are doing. We'd love to hear from you. We can also be reached on Facebook and Instagram at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery, on Twitter at Ord Extra Sim, or by email at Ordinary Extraordinary Cemetery at gmail.com. Happy Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day until we meet again.